Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. This is the Engaging Missions Show, episode 243. This week we're talking with Justin White about a transformational trip to Africa and addressing the question about whether or not being a disciple is enough. He entrusted the kingdom to these guys. Now he's going to send the Holy Spirit, but it was amazing. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for stopping by and welcome to the show. We want to provide a way for thousands of people to hear a message, make connections, and to take action. This week, we're going to be talking about the prophet Isaiah, about some challenges on a trip to Africa, about forming an identity, and also about questioning whether or not being a disciple was actually enough. Stick around to the end. I'm also going to have for you a resource and a little bit of listener feedback. Before we get started, I do want to say welcome to quite a number of people, Mary, Herbert, Hash, Barbie, Cynthia, and Bosco, who all recently liked the Engaging Missions Facebook page. Welcome. It's great to have you. If you're listening right now and you would also like to connect on Facebook, just visit facebook.com slash engagingmissions. You'll find us right there. And with that, we're going to head right to our time with Justin. All right, today we have with us Justin White. He and his family spent some time in Africa as missionaries. Now they're in Raleigh, North Carolina, here in the U.S. They're serving as U.S. movement catalysts with No Place Left and E3 Partners, and I think there might have also been a recent trip to Honduras. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. It's good to be here, man. Oh, it's great to connect with you as well. As we get started, one of the things that I thought might be really really worthwhile is if we go back to the beginning and just kind of ask you, how did you come to faith in Christ? I grew up in um, in a, a smaller Baptist church in a small town in North Georgia and heard the gospel probably my whole life. When I was when I was 10, I, I responded. I think I was born again at that time and was baptized. And then, but really for about 13 years, it was a roller coaster. I wasn't really discipled whole lot and I made some poor choices. And so when I was 23, finished with college, yeah, I just hadn't grown a lot in my faith and was was just living in some sin. And Jesus just really he just pursued me in a way that I couldn't I couldn't escape from it. I remember one night I was just kind of at the end of everything that I was involved in was just not satisfying to the core and just like there's got to be more. And I just started reading Isaiah six and really saw Jesus for, for who he is, holy, and I, I am not. And just that vision kind of broke me, which is painful. But then the beauty of the gospel, I think there was just a, a deeper understanding at that time. And came out of there just saying the same thing that, that Isaiah said, you know, Lord, here I am, send me. I'll, I'll, and this is worth 
given my life for. And so really I'll, I'll go anywhere, say anything, do anything you want me to do. That was when I was 23. That's really interesting. I, I don't think that I've ever heard somebody say that they had that kind of encounter <laughs> with Jesus in, in the prophets, right? We think of the gospels, we think of revelation, right? The fear of God and all of That's that right. kind of stuff. What part of Isaiah six stood out to you and drew you to him? Yeah. So it, it was, it was that picture of the, of the priest King, which I, I think is Jesus seated on his throne. And Isaiah was just, he was ruined, right? I mean, he saw, mm. saw the glory of God and it, and then that, that in turn reflected his own dirtiness, his own sinfulness and that of his people. And that broke me. But then that coal from the altar of sacrifice touched him. And I mean, that, that's the gospel. And so I found myself in, in the New Testament as well that night, pouring through the gospel. And it, it really, it became brighter than it had ever been and sweeter than it had ever been. Is a good way of saying it. A lot changed that night. I think looking back, it was, it was a step in my journey, but it was a pretty, pretty important one. You talked a little bit about the here am I, send me. I, sure. I'm wondering, you've focused on that one night. What did that sending me look like as you started to walk with Christ in that? <laughs> I had no idea at first. It, uh, <laughs> it initially meant I kind of went back to the church I had grown up in and just had a heart. I saw some gaps in discipleship, particularly after uh, high school. And so I asked my pastor if I could start a college class ministry, if you will, and had a full-time job at the time. And that's what it meant from the beginning was just, just that. And so I, I grew in a, just grew in my love for the local church and for God's word. I'm, my Bible knowledge was pretty awful at that time. And so it was almost like I was studying stuff for the first time. I remember digging in just listening to sermons and reading books, trying to figure out how to teach these students who were smarter than me. That was what it meant at that time. A year later, I went to Mexico on my first international mission trip, and the Lord just expanded, I guess, what that meant for me and just broke my heart for the nations. I had a just a good friend, Pastor Manuel Verde down there, and he I just remember him casting this no place left vision for the Yucatan Peninsula from Mexico and really to the ends of the earth from the book of Mark. And it just resonated like this is this is what I want to do, gospel to the nations. And so early on within the first year or so, that's that's what it meant. Wow. Now we fast forward at least a couple of years and right. you're a, a movement catalyst. <laughs> what does a movement catalyst do? Uh, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> No. Um, so we fast forward quite a few years. I had um, just a little bit of the gap. I had I had come to seminary in 2007 to go with the International Mission Board. I met my wife, Rachel, at the seminary, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And we had an awesome time and grew in my, my knowledge of the Word and God and His mission. And my heart, I think, just grew in a passion to see Christ exalted among the nations. And so we got married and we're headed to India to be career missionaries. And then God actually redirected us in 2012 to Botswana, Africa. And that's how we ended up there. And I, I hadn't been exposed to any, any movement stuff. I'd read some stuff in seminary and honestly just didn't, I didn't agree with some of it in those days and actually wrote a critical book review of David Garrison's Church Planning Movements book. <laughs> oh. So we went to Botswana and ended up going there to adopt my oldest daughter. 
but we also engaged in evangelism, disciple-making, church planting while we were there, or tried to. It was there that I, I think I realized that I didn't really know how to, to make disciples. So, you know, lots of education and experience in some great churches, and I didn't really know how to, how to do it. So we, the Lord allowed some good stuff to happen there, but we, we also felt like we, we spun our wheels a little bit. It had some pieces, but didn't have the whole puzzle. When we had first gotten to Botswana, I kind of had, had degrees. I had, um, had work. I had some ministry experience and network connections and things here. But we moved to Botswana and I didn't have any of that. Nobody knew me. Nobody cared. I couldn't, I had a background in computers. I couldn't do that. Mm. Uh, I couldn't get a work permit for that. So I really couldn't do anything. And ministry was really slow at first. And uh, it was really frustrating. I was reading through the book of Mark and Mark one seventeen, where Jesus says, follow me and I'll make, I will make you fishers of men. It was almost like the Holy Spirit was just saying, Hey, you know, is this enough? Is it, is it enough to be my disciple that, that makes disciples follower and fisher? And I was just in a, I was in a desert, uh, literally and, and spiritually at the time. And I just, I, I said no at first. I was like, man, I know I need, I need a job title. I need a position. I need, I need something to change. And so he just kept the, the still small voice stayed there. And eventually I kind of broke and was just like, yeah, this is, this is who I am. This is what God's made me to do. So at least getting it kind of established in my heart that I am. I'm a disciple of Jesus, but my purpose is to is to multiply disciples. So that was key coming back to the States and starting to run with some of the stuff. So yeah, we came back from Botswana in twenty fourteen and that's when a mentor of mine, Dr. George Robinson at Southeastern, connected me with a guy named Jeff Sundell and a guy named Troy Cooper and also a couple guys in Memphis who were doing this work there, Zach Medlock and Ron Surgeon. Actually Zach shared this little drawing with me in a coffee shop and it was four fields of kingdom growth and it was like a light bulb just turned on the whole puzzle made sense (laughs) so i was like this is what god's called me to do and here are some some tracks to run on and to to do it with and so that was really our our pathway to to becoming kind of raleigh city catalyst for no place left in e3 that time you spent in in Africa, you were there to adopt your daughter. I don't typically think of that as being a long time frame, but you also mentioned that during that time you were discovering that you were not as equipped as you had hoped for discipleship. How how long were you there? We were there two years. Wow. Yeah, that's probably a whole other podcast, but it, it uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We we won't dig into that then. <laughs> that, that's that's really interesting. You know, it, it's sometimes something that seems like it should be really simple. It turns out that it isn't. And I think that I don't necessarily think of adoption as being super difficult, although it can take some time, but (laughs) being there for two years, that's, that's kind of a commitment. How is what you're doing now with E3 partners and how you're approaching discipleship? How would you say that's different from what you were, what you were attempting to do? So it's different. I think when we were in Botswana, I mean, I had a heart for, making disciples a heart for church planting, but I didn't really understand from the Bible how that all fit together. Um, it sounds super simple, but we abide prayer and fasting, abide with Jesus. We find our target. We go share a whole lot of seeds and we disciple the fruit and we gather the fruit 
into churches and then we raise up leaders to perpetuate the process. And I just didn't, I didn't have that paradigm. I didn't have tools. I didn't have simple biblical reproducible tools that fit in each one of those stages of that paradigm. I didn't have the ability to, to help the guys I was discipling get to the next step, get unstuck as well. So I think just having that now is incredibly different. And then, and I think the biggest piece was when we were in Botswana post-seminary, I, I always saw myself as the answer to the Great Commission. And, you know, we are, as, as believers, we are certainly an answer. But as I just learned more and more about movement, I started seeing disciples as the answer, giving it away, giving yourself away, giving, pouring yourself into to others who are going to probably go beyond you, especially if I'm, if I'm an outside missionary. And so beginning to see me as a part of the answer, but really them as the answer to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And so that was the biggest shift. Is it ever difficult to keep that kind of perspective? Yes. <laughs> every day, every day it is, Brian. I mean, we're in a season in the work now where God's God's raising up leaders. And I've had a lot of a lot of hands-on work, you know, as you begin as a catalyst in a city, it, it's really simple. You just hit the harvest and you, you train anyone that'll, that'll receive training in the church and from the harvest. And now that God's raising up some leaders here in the triangle, it's that tension. I need to, I need to spend less time on certain days uh, investing in the direct influence from my, or we would say stream, from my labor, building that up, making that something that's that's large and, and impressive. To um, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna die to some of that and pour into some of these other leaders so that they can actually produce more fruit, Lord willing. So yeah, it's a tension, especially where we're at today. <laughs> As you've been walking in this, I, I think you said that it was a, a relatively recent transition going to more of a U.S. based role. Yes. What's God been showing you over the last few months as you've been transitioning? Mm. As you just look at the Gospels, the ministry of Jesus, that he, he had that public ministry, which is, which is necessary, but he changed the world through his private ministry and his investment in those guys, really those 11 that stuck and turned the world upside down. It's an easy concept to get my mind around, but it's hard to actually live it out. Yeah. <laughs> so... I'm trying to to learn and trust. It, it takes a lot of trust because you're you're not in control, and you're um, just as Jesus did. I mean, he entrusted the kingdom to these guys. Now he's going to send the Holy Spirit, but it was amazing. I mean, he tells the Father in John 17. He talks about finishing the work that he'd been given, and that was not the cross because he hadn't gone yet. And so, what was it? It was getting these guys prepared for the next step. So. I think that's the that's been the biggest challenge as of late for me. As I think about my life, I think that sometimes I struggle a bit with faith. Hmm. And I've found that over the years that God tends to stretch my faith by getting me to the edge of where I'm I don't really trust him and allowing me to fail and then continuing to to grow me in, in that faith. Yeah. How has God grown your ability to trust him as as you're stepping into this <laughs> yeah he he has again even back to Botswana we just we had a lot of life circumstances there where he grew our trust but then stepping into movement catalyst type work 
it's big vision. I mean, God gives us, he's given us a, a vision in the next couple of years in Raleigh to see 30,000 gospel shares through our network, 30,000 believers trained, 300, 300 units of really laborers who are not just sowing seeds, but they're multiplying disciples, churches that come through these, we're calling residencies, church planning residencies for bivocational leaders. So we want to see oh, 30 okay. of those happen. We want to see uh, 30, what we call legacy churches, 30, 30 existing churches jump on board with movement strategy. And we're praying for 300 baptisms in 15 churches. And so that's just, that's just here. That's not, you know, MPL US. That's just our city. And I can't, I mean, that's crushing. There's no way, no way that I can even start to pull that off. And so without faith, we would quit every day, right? (laughs) (laughs) Probably, yeah. But just believing, I mean, believing that, that the still small voice that we hear when we're in the word and when we're, we're abiding with Jesus, when we're praying, when we're fasting, that, that, that is, um, that's God's heart, that, that none should perish. And he's, he's a big God. And so, um, that's the faith. Let's talk about those residencies for just a second. What is the residency and what does it look sure. like? Sure. We, we launched our first one a couple of years ago. I was kind of at a point in the movement here where we, we really, as we've looked back at No Place Left over the last three to five years and have kind of assessed the path to, to movement that the, that the Holy Spirit has revealed to us, we see just a, a catalyst starting in the city, hitting the harvest and training. And then we see the formation of a team. And then we see formation of a coalition or really a team of teams or churches that are connected that are going after it. And then we see a, we see a hub, which we would just add sending and receiving to the nations and from the nations. And so we were at a place in Raleigh where we kind of had a team forming. We had just been doing the work and God had been giving us some, some stories slowly, <laughs> but nonetheless, some really good stories about lives, lives being changed. And I just needed, I really needed to know who I was committed to and who was committed to me because we were the only full-time laborers here, everyone else that was running with us were, were bivocational. So Troy Cooper and I, one night, it was like 3 a.m. down in Florida and Denny's kind of hammered out, what would this look like? Not just to train, train missionaries, train church planters here, but also kind of from the field perspective, having some guys on the field on the foreign field, particularly in South Asia, speaking back into that. And so we just hammered out kind of a basic outline where residents will will commit seven hours a week to the residency. It always ends up being more, but that's kind of the base. So three hours together, whether it's church, whether they're they're calling it church or whether it's just their group, they're doing a particular kind of discipleship meeting format that they're trying to reproduce. And they're, they're, they're celebrating with one another. They're encouraging, lifting up one another in the tough times and then doing a little bit of strategy. Then two hours in the harvest, so two hours out sowing seeds, and then um, two hours committed to following up because we found that the discipleship piece is is messy and very time-consuming. And so two hours getting groups started, maybe moving them to churches. They're reading through the New Testament. We're honing in a little bit on Paul's missionary journeys and ministry of Jesus and Luke as kind of some extra stuff. And then we're just, we're taking them through what they would take new disciples through. And then when we finish that, we're doing some 
some kind of leadership, movement leadership type training. And that all takes eight to 12 months, at least right now, with an option for a second year. We're also trying to get them to the to the nation. So we want them to go on a short-term trip to some of our partners in South Asia or, mm. or some other places where movement is much further along than it is here, just to learn. So that's kind of the nuts and bolts of it. Have you ever had a group where you invested pretty heavily and it, it just never really took root? <laughs> in the harvest fairly often, yes. <laughs> what do you do when that happens? Man, that is... It goes back to your faith question. We've had, in fact, early on, the majority of our groups that we started failed. And I think some of it was the Lord teaching us, but some of it was just us trying to take a, a CPM kind of village India model and plop it down in, in Raleigh-Durham. And we just realized, hey, there's some things that are different with the city and contextually and so we're, we're trying to make some tweaks and get through those those stuck places. But yeah, I mean, Jeff always tells us that those are those are God's greatest opportunities to show up and also to shape us, I think. And so every time we go back to prayer and fasting, we go back to the word and plead with God for answers. We talk to others who might be ahead of us. It's just a lot of word, <laughs> a lot of abiding, a lot of word would be my answer. You were recently in Honduras. Yes. How how important is cross-cultural or cross-national ministry with what you're doing? It is. Uh, it's. I mean, it's essential because we, we're doing what we're doing to see the, the red dots get reached and discipled uh, with unreached people groups and un, unreached, unengaged people groups. And so it's a necessary part. Honduras is actually an interesting story. Do you mind me telling that really quick? No, please, please do. Okay. So the first couple that really came out of the harvest here in Raleigh-Durham, they were from Honduras. And their names are Miguel and Paula Hernandez. And they're some of our best friends in the world. They moved to Raleigh on the same day we did. We moved back from Africa. They moved from Miami to Raleigh. We were out that next December. This was... I think we moved down here in November. And so in December, we were out prayer walking in their neighborhood. And Miguel was changing the tire, trying to get a tire changed. And we were no, of no help. But we talked to him, ended up just inviting him to a, a party on New Year's at our house. And uh, they came and we just talked a lot. And then I uh, didn't think much of it. But then they, they came to a small group meeting of our church. And Miguel proceeds to just tell me this story about how he had... Um, he had been having a dream for five, six years. There was a guy, a white guy on one side of him and a lady on the other side. The guy was speaking to him and he was back in Honduras speaking that to his his hometown, folks in his hometown. Yeah. And he was like white <laughs> telling me this. And the the lady in his dream was his, his now wife. She was not at the time, but, but the guy in his dream was actually me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, he, he didn't really have much of a religious background, but had just been seeking a little, I think unsettled and seeking. And the Lord just met him right there. And so he was actually pretty frightened. And so he's like, I, I need to I need to learn about the God of this this book, apparently. And so we started to walk through some some of our what we call yellow light discovery Bible studies. And he came to Christ three or four weeks in. 
led his wife to Christ. My wife and Rachel invested in her son as well and, and the body as well that was around us. And so they, they came to faith, were baptized and are, are bivocational, but they, they labor. I mean, they're on a team that's targeting Latinos here in the triangle. And that's how we first went to Honduras. So it was through a harvest, someone coming to faith through the harvest. And now we go down and we, we really work through their oikos, through their sphere of influence, whether it's lost people or whether it's churches and saved people, because these are the same people that knew them as, as sinners years ago, right? And now they're coming back mm. and they're, um, they're really leaders. So we've seen stuff go a whole lot faster in Honduras than here. But, but the vision there, Brian, is still a phrase that we're using around NPL right now is just movement to mobilization. In the past, we've done a lot of mobilizing to movement. So recruiting, training, getting people overseas to movement, which is awesome. But, but we're really just championing. And let's go after movement at home, wherever home is. And from that, we're trusting that God will raise up more laborers from the harvest and from the church that will go to the nations. And so um, we're casting that same vision on Honduras. Hey, guys, send Hondurans to to the Middle East and Hondurans to, to South Asia. So trying to build build that movement hub out there as well. That's lengthy, but that's a that's worth telling. It's a wow. God God story. <laughs> that's incredible. As you're sharing this, you know, one of the things that's kind of been going through my mind, coming from my experience growing up in the seventies and eighties in the US in church, there was a lot of focus on revival, wanting to see God move again like he did in the 20s and 30s and some of those those kinds of things. And so there were a lot of conversations about prayer and fasting and, right. and things like that, lifestyle type things that were important and part of our walk. As you think about generically the life of a Christian in the U.S., because that's where a lot of us are, what's one or two things that might need to change about our lives if we're really going to start pursuing movement? Wow. Yeah, it's personal. I'm speaking with everyone that you're you're talking about because yeah. I was in seminary going to be a full-time missionary and we were doing some stuff among refugees, but we were not giving sufficient time to make disciples. And so um, what needs to happen in my own heart, in my own life, in my experience, I needed to be broken for lostness. I needed to repent and ask God for his heart, truly his heart. Um, that none should perish. I, I didn't love Raleigh when I was here in seminary. I uh, thought there were too many churches that why did we need to plant churches in Raleigh? And the reality is there's 1.4 million people far from God in the triangle. And that's a conservative number. And majority of those, vast majority are not interested in coming. They're not going to come to a church service if you invite them. And so we've got to go to them. So I think having God's heart and, and repentance is where we start. Mm. And then beyond that, it's just some, there's some simple tools that we'll give people. We've seen that a lot of Christians don't know why they should be disciple makers. It's an identity issue. So we'll help them define who they are, their identity from the scriptures, ambassadors, fishers of men, there's others. And then a lot of people, they just honestly don't know who to share with. And so we'll equip them and help them. Uh, map out who in the who in the world do we start with, and then the big one is they don't really know what to say. They don't know how to start a conversation. They don't know how to transition. They don't know some simple gospel tools. So we'll teach them to share their story and God's story. Probably the big one is uh, 
we don't know when to do it. We're so busy. And so we help people prioritize disciple making, schedule it. We have some things that have lesser, lower bars than the seven hours of residency. We've got some eight week rhythms that we'll try to get people in where they can commit three hours just for eight weeks. And, and we'll try to help them engage lost people and, and train them to do it. And so I think it's repentance. I think it's Holy Spirit. It's our heart, but it's also some simple biblical reproducible tools that just some people just need that. That's all they need just to get over the hump. You've seen people walk through this kind of process. What kind of transformation happens in their lives when they begin to walk in this? <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Again, seen it in my own, but but also believers that were that were sitting in churches that we say just get activated for movement, but also just the example that I gave with Miguel and Paula. I mean, they've they're about three years in and I mean, you would think they've been walking with Jesus for 20 years and they're so much further down the road and not just mission and disciple making, but, but just maturity and hunger for the word and time in the word and just that whole side of it as well. I think Jesus made us to, um, in the great commission, teach them to observe, to obey all that I've commanded. And so there's this mix of knowledge, obedience, and abiding the witness of Jesus. When you mix that together, I think it, it accelerates our spiritual growth. But unfortunately, for a lot of a lot of believers, again, it was me as well. The obedience piece, particularly to disciple making, is just not there. And so we we're getting knowledge, 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 and we're stuck. And we're never gonna really grow until we start <laughs> we start moving out and making disciples. So. Justin, this has been great. I just about lost track of time, and I just I'm realizing that we're getting getting close to being out of time right now. Sure. As as we begin to tie a bow on this, one thing I I just want to make sure that I do before we go is ask: Is there anything that we can pray for you about? Yeah, absolutely. So you had mentioned family again. I don't think I I really answered that question, and so uh, we do do this together as a family. Our whole family was in Honduras. Our whole family will probably be in Africa at the end of the year. I just took my oldest daughter to Virginia and we trained a church up there. It's really wanting to see no place left uh, in their city. Mm. And we, we go out and harvest together. It's just who we are. My daughter's, my oldest daughter trains. Yeah. She helps train. She'll share the gospel and has led some people to Christ at their door. And so we, we really, it's fun for our girls. And so I just pray, pray for them, pray for Kesa and Karishma. Karishma's new to our family. She's been with us about six months. So just pray that God would um, continue to help both of them adjust, as well as mom and dad. And then for the work, that God would would continue to raise up laborers here in the Triangle, here in the U.S. He's doing it. I think there's over 120 cities where there's no place left, catalyst and teams and beyond. But that he would just continue to raise up laborers for the kingdom and then wisdom for us, just as we as we transition a little bit from thinking just Raleigh particular, Raleigh-Durham strategy particular to to kind of U.S. strategy. And so um, that would be that would be prayer needs. For those of you that are listening, I would like to encourage you to just take a minute right now. I do this just about every time. Take a minute, pause the recording and pray for Justin. Pray about the things that he that he mentioned about his family, about the ministry, about the various things that are going on in their lives. I know if you're like me, there's a chance you're going to forget if you try to do it at night. So just do it right now. And then if you want to connect with him, 
We have links so that you can connect with him in the show notes. If you're listening on a favorite podcast app, just tap or swipe and you can click through to get to the show notes page. We've got some ways for you to connect right there in case you want to connect with him further. Justin, I want to say thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you, brother. It's a pleasure, man. If you're like a lot of my listeners, there's a really good chance you're already volunteering. But for some of us, that might be a little bit of a hurdle to overcome. Maybe there's an age issue where you're perhaps considering yourself to be beyond your prime age, or perhaps you consider yourself too young. Maybe you just don't even know what kinds of things you might be interested in. Well, I have a resource for you. And I was really happy to see this come into my inbox a couple of weeks ago, and I'm glad to share it with you. I do want to mention it is not specifically a faith-based resource, and it's written specifically for seniors, but I think it applies across the board. This is from a place called agingandplace.org. I'll have it linked up in the show notes for you. And it has some really neat ideas for ways that you might consider volunteering, some places you might connect, whether they're faith-based or not. And I thought that the most interesting thing about this was that because it has a wide range of opportunities and types of things to consider, it might spark some ideas if you're looking for an opportunity to volunteer in your community, whether it's a faith-based organization or not. Because let's face it, if you carry the love of Christ, any opportunity that you have that you can take advantage of to share God's love with people who are in need is a great opportunity. So I wanted to point you to that linked up at the show notes. You'll find it at agingandplace.org. If you're looking for an opportunity to volunteer, if you're thinking you might be past your prime or you're just trying to figure out how you might fit in, check it out right there in the show notes or at agingandplace.org. It's time for a little listener feedback. I've been hearing from more and more of you recently, and I'm really excited about that. This is coming in as an Apple podcast or an iTunes review. It's by, and I, all I have is a business name right here, Biz Nice Marketing Incorporated. So I'm afraid I don't know who actually sent this, but I'm really happy to get it. What they wrote was, incredibly relevant podcast, doing mission work, great interviews, and thank you for doing this. As a Christian on a mission, it can be hard when you feel isolated. We are not alone. Thank you for reminding me of this. So if you're listening, whoever you are, I'm really thankful for that review and not just because you left it and I feel good about that, but because it helps me know that what I'm doing is meeting a need for you and Part of the vision for this show when I started almost five years ago now was that people who were feeling alone, feeling isolated, feeling like they might be the only one would begin to realize that they're not alone, that they're not the only person going through this kind of thing, and that there really are other people out there who want to listen, who want to be part of their lives and who are sharing in similar stuff. So thank you so much for doing that. If you're listening right now and you're thinking to yourself, I've never left a review or I've never sent Brian an email or I've never left any kind of feedback. Here's your opportunity. I would love to get a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you might be able to leave that. But more importantly, if you have something that you want to share with me and you don't want it to be public, send it to me an email. Just send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. I would love to hear from you any suggestions that you have, any concerns that you have, anything that 
I can do better to serve you better or just anything that you want to tell me about the show. I'd love to hear from you. That's all the time that we have for this week. I want to say thanks again so much to Justin White for taking the time to do this. It really means a lot to me that he took the time to do this, and I really appreciated it. Also to Jeff and Gabby for their help in the ongoing production of the show. And for those of you who help support the show, whether in prayer or financially or by sharing it with other people who might benefit from it, thank you so much. It really means a lot. It's really, I believe it. what we're doing here is really important or I wouldn't keep doing it. So thank you. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Justin White. Or if you're already subscribed in your favorite podcast app, and if you're not, why aren't you? But if you are, you can very likely just tap or swipe and you can go right there. You'll find ways to connect, to comment, to share links to all of the resources. All of that are at the show notes at engagingmissions.com slash Justin White. Make sure that you come back next week. We're going to be talking about a passion for seeing churches engaging in the Great Commission. I think this is going to be a conversation you're really going to enjoy. Not surprisingly, if you want to make sure that you don't miss it, the best way to do that is to subscribe in your favorite podcast app. We're available in Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Stitcher and TuneIn and Spotify and Overcast and Pocket Cast. I mean, we're just about everywhere. The only place I haven't figured out how to get into yet is iHeartRadio. Not that I don't know how to submit it, but I can't figure out how to get them to approve the show. But if you listen in any of those places or any other places, there's a really good chance you're going to be able to subscribe to the show by visiting engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. And if you have a story of how you've been equipped or challenged or inspired by this show, I would love to hear from you. Send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. One more time, thank you so much for being here. I really look forward to connecting in just another week. 